in a remote country, third world country, that had a disease, a plague hit them. And the local communities around the local countries realized that this was killing the people. It was, it's not just the cold or a flu or something like that or what we have spring fever waiting for that sun to come back again in Washington. And it, this was deadly. And it was just wiping everyone out. And they realized they needed help. So a greater country, one that was sophisticated, sent scientists in in the big suits and everything and, and kind of got some samples and, and went back and realized this is a horrific disease. They got a vaccine, made a vaccine, and, and instead of going in there again and, and in fear of being exposed, they got the vaccine in these big 55-gallon drums and flew over and parachuted them down, just kind of dropped them out, parachuted them down with all the instructions on what to do. And with this vaccine, it, it would wipe out the disease in one week. But as a buffer, they waited three weeks just to make sure the scientists were like, well, we better give a little buffer. After three weeks, they sent some of the scientists in there to see how things were going. They walk into the village, and there's dead people everywhere. And right away, they're thinking, oh, did you do something wrong? We thought we had the... They started already going up to where some of the big um, 55-gallon drums were open. They're like, I thought we had this down, and there are people just dead everywhere. They couldn't believe it. They looked, they saw this, this canister open, it was empty, they're like, the instructions were there, and then over in the corner they saw someone buy one of the canisters, and they quickly went over there, and here was a person doing their dishes in the vaccine. Here this vaccine was to save them, and all they did was, oh, let's do our dishes in them. Now I made that story up, okay? I don't make up stories when I preach sermons. The first story I made up, all right, except for the time I got pulled over with a policeman. <laughs> but listen, the reason I made that story up is to make you think about the starkness, the reality of how some people treat this. There is death. People around us are dying. Here's my fear, that the church just does our dishes in it. We don't realize the severity of sin and the beauty of this message, right? I mean, as crazy as that story would be, fictitious as though it is, how real the story is of sin, right? The reality of of death around us and the beauty of the message of God. Amen? So the reason I created that story for you is to maybe make you realize, number one, am I just doing dishes with this story? Am I just playing church? Coming on Sundays. Pastor Cody has a tie on today. Dressing up nice and playing the part Or, do you know God? Do you know God? Now, we are taking some time, if you take your Bibles and turn to Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, I've got a couple Bibles in the back, just put your hand up. Exodus 32, 33, and 34. 
Now, you may be wondering, why are we taking so much time? I can't wait to get out of Exodus, like the children of Israel. Let's get out, let's get out of this. Why are you taking so much time in Exodus, primarily in Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34? One of the primary reasons, I believe, is that, that I want to do this is because it's one of the great passages where God reveals himself to his people in desperate need. They built this calf. They, judgment should be there. Death is all around. And they're doing dishes in the vaccine. And God comes. God is a God of justice. But He's more than just. He's grace and mercy, right? We are looking at Exodus 34. And we're taking... A lot of time looking at how God reveals himself in 13 words. Exodus 34. And there's three reasons why I want to slow down just on these 13 words for our church. Number one, to correct our view of God. Because truly, most of us have the view that our Sunday school teacher had. That's pretty much how it is. I grew up in Sunday school my whole life, and what my Sunday school taught me, that's kind of how I view God. And many times we don't have the proper view of God. Or you want to create a God that, that fits what you like. Number one, I want to help correct our view of God. Number two, this whole series is called The Way of the Cross. And we're looking at the Old Testament, how it's a preparation, how it points to the cross. And how even in Exodus 34, God reveals himself in his name, yet it's not the full picture until we see Christ. The glory is coming, Exodus 40, that's not the full picture. The glory dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, as John says in the New Testament. And the third reason why I'm slowing down and looking at these words is so we can learn about prayer. Why would I look at these 13 words, the character of God, so we can learn about prayer? Because as I go through Scripture over and over again, the saints in the Old Testament, the saints in the New, Jesus, one of the primary ways that they pray is they turn to the character of God first. We, in prayer, usually go, here's my wish list, here's all my struggles, oh Lord, why? But one of the primary things they do in Scripture is turn to the character of God. So when we finish looking through all these words, I'm going to take some time and then we'll look at, well, what does this mean in prayer? How do we apply this in prayer? So let me pray before we get into this passage this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's living. It's active. And God, we beseech you. We ask, we plead that today this word again would shape and move our hearts. Lord, correct our view. May it be the right view of who you are. And Lord, we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer said this, 
what comes to our minds when we first think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. Think about this. What comes to our minds when we first think about God is the most important thing about us. I just want to get this out right away. Going through these words, coming up with the concept of what is mercy, what is grace, what is love, it's not just so you can have a bunch of data. This is not just like a college-level course where you go, yep, okay, I can pass the test now. God is love, He's grace, He's mercy. Check, check, check. No. This should truly soak into our hearts, shape and change us to who we are, not just an academic pursuit of word studies. So, how accurate is your view of God? How many of you would say that you have a pretty good view of God? You have a pretty good understanding of of who God is. It's okay, you can put your hand up like, this is great, or this is, you know, I I got a pretty good view of God. Some of you are like, "Uh, I don't know, it depends. Maybe the best way to see how you view God is to look at how you treat Him or respond to Him in need. Some of you, and here's a couple examples of how you could do it. In your daily affairs, do you treat Him like Santa Claus? You get what you deserve. I'm good, so I'm on His list, okay? I do a bunch of good things, and I get things... Or I don't, and I get coal. Some of you really treat the Lord like that. I do a bunch of good things, and then I'll be blessed. And then I do bad things, and oh, here come the lightning bolts. And you start singing the song, oh, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, because Santa Claus is coming. Oh, I did some bad things, so oh, here comes the judgment. Remember, oh, God is just, but he's more than just. He's grace. The problem with the Santa Claus view is it's based on performance. It's religion. That's what most religions view God. They, it's performance-based. Or maybe you view God as the good luck charm. Oh, I didn't read my Bible today, so, oh, he's going to punish me. If I read my Bible, do all these good things, then it will work out perfect for me. Oh, I better say my one-minute prayer today, and then I rub, rub that luck charm, I have it with me, and it's all... The problem with that, it's based upon fear and self-dependency. Or another view is the genie view. I wait for him to appear, and then I say, here's my wish, here's my list. I rattle off my whole list of things, and hopefully he'll choose one of them. I want something special to take place, and I quick pray, and there it is. The problem is you only need him when you want him. Life is going good, and then, oh, something bad. Quick, pull out the genie, rub it. Okay, this is what I need, Lord. Here's my list. The problem with that is it's self-centered and reliant upon what you want and when you need God. Or the one that irks me in a great way that's slipping into American Christianity is God is my boyfriend style. Oh, I I just date God. There's no real commitment. 
Because when you date someone, you, you hang out with them, you have a great time. It's, oh, it's exciting, you're related, oh, it's good. And then, see you later, and then you go do your own thing. And there's no true commitment or vow. And people treat God as though they're dating Him. And like, oh, we have this relationship, and it's, it's cute and fine. And then, after a while, God becomes old news. Or you treat God like he's the, the Facebook person. You, you connect with him on Facebook a little bit. You, you, oh, you have this social media. You're like, oh, hey, things are going great. You really don't know them You're from a distance. And that doesn't last. It's the wrong view of God. And truly, in the end, it shows you have no real relationship with God. Or sometimes we treat him like he's the Scrooge. We tend to view God as this big, boss who's hard to please and he's up there with lightning bolts and we just walk around and tremble and we're nervous and we're scared and oh i'm scared and god is this old man who sits on this throne it's it's hard to follow him he's got these lists of commandments that we can't even meet and why does this have to be this way and he's only concerned about the sins you commit So my question is, how accurate is your view of God? How well do you know Him? Is it truly based on who He truly is? In the Bible, we have a great portrait of who God is. The people have just committed a great sin. Moses has interceded. He's asked some great questions. And now, Exodus 34, would you read with me here? Take a look. Exodus 34, starting with verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Exodus is a great book just like every book in the Bible, where it's a great understanding of who God is and how He reacts with His people. In the early chapters, we begin to see what God does. and How does God reveal Himself? Just remember this. Write this down or just remember this in Exodus. The first thing He does is He reveals His name. Remember, the burning bush. Moses is there and the Lord comes and the Lord reveals His name. Or in chapter 6, if you remember, chapter 6, he says, God says, you know, in Genesis, they didn't know me as Yahweh, but you will know me in a greater way as Yahweh. He reveals his name, his personal name, Yahweh. He reveals himself, number one, in his name, number two, in his actions. Remember this, the gospel message in the Old Testament is Exodus chapter 14. He just doesn't say, I'm going to save you, and it happens. 
He saves them in a mighty, grand way, greater than they could even imagine. Or as the story I said before, the little kid comes back from a Sunday school and he says, Hi, we had Sunday school, and the parents say, What did you learn about Sunday school? Well, the, the children of Israel were saved and delivered. Well, tell me about it. Well, the tanks came in, and all this big army, Arnold Schwarzenegger led the troops, and they just, they were delivered. And the mom said, is that really what happened? No, that didn't happen. But if I really told you, you wouldn't believe it. Because it's that powerful. When God saves, he saves and delivers. How does God reveal himself? Number one, in his name. Number two, in his actions. And number three, how does he reveal himself? In his attributes. Who he is. And that's why we're taking some time to look at the attributes of God. What's the correct view of God? Look at the words. Lord, Lord. It's there twice. Yahweh. Remember this? He is the Savior. He's the Deliverer. So if anyone asks you about God, just the first thing you should think of, He's my Savior. He's the one that delivers me. I can't do it on my own. Lord, Lord. In the Hebrew, the next word is El, God. He is God. He has the power to save. Not only He's my Savior, but He has the power to do amazing things. The next word, mercy. He has compassion on His people. The next word, grace, it is a free gift. A free gift. Then, last week we looked at slow to anger. He is incredibly patient with me. Truly, he's patient with this man here. Patient with me. Patient. And then the last word we looked at, my favorite word, In the Hebrew language, chesed, steadfast love. He is loyal. His love is loyal. How do we know he loves us? By his chesed, his actions, his love. So let's take a look at the next word that we have here. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And abounding in, what's the next word? Faithfulness. Here's this word, emet. Faithfulness. He is a faithful God. The love of God is faithful. I have been married for 13 years. And I have been a faithful husband in many ways. But in many ways... I have not been faithful. My wife and kids are not here today, and some of you know that they went back to the Midwest to get ready for my wife's sister's wedding. They're gearing up, and my kids right now are with all the grandparents. My grandparents are loving it right now. Their grandparents are loving it right now. Just the grandparents are just with the kids finally. And one of the things my wife said to me before she left, please keep the house clean. Why are you laughing? It's interesting that the wives are laughing more than the husbands are. Or the guilty husbands are laughing, going, yeah. I've created a new artwork in my bedroom. I've got a sock here, a sock here, a sock here. It's great. 
I've done the dishes once. I'm, I'm not the perfect husband in that way. I just, I get things busy. I think it was Wednesday. I got up early in the morning, went to Gig Harbor, to Lighthouse School, and then went up to Silverdale. Went, I, I was an hour at home the whole day. I was busy just visiting people. I'm a busy man. Sorry, Amber. The house isn't clean. We're having Bible study tonight. Maybe we should have it at someone else's house. I don't know. We are unfaithful. We truly don't know how to love. <laughs> We're an odd people when it comes to the word love. I originally saw a bumper sticker. I won't look at anyone in particular. Okay. I love coffee, it said. Yeah. <laughs> I love coffee. And of course, it's the Seattle area. And maybe I'm not a true Washingtonian yet. I have not drinking some co- a cup of coffee in over a month. Can you believe it? And I'm still alive. I still smile. And think of the money I've saved. We'll get to that later. Okay? We'll be talking about vices and idolatry later. Okay? But it said, I love coffee. How many of you love your spouse? Okay? We use this term. Some, some people could literally have, I love coffee. I love my wife on the same vehicle, right? We could. We have so many things we love, and we just we, we throw this word out, and there's no true commitment. I mean, this word love and faithful really is hard for us. This will sound like, like an oxymoron here. Imagine a faithful politician. You know, I mean, just, oh, right away. We, and I'm not trying to pick sides on anything, but just every side. Politician, a faithful politician, depends how much money you pay the politician, right? I mean, we, it's hard for us to understand this, but listen, God is faithful. He does not give up on us. If you don't believe that, look in the mirror. He does not give up on his people. Let's take a look at some passages. Psalm, the middle, Psalms, the middle of the Bible is turned Psalms 25. Psalms 25. Psalm 25, verse 10. This, this is a grand verse. If you struggle with your view of God, if sometimes it gets distorted by just the way life has hurled its issues upon you, and you just don't understand why there's sickness, why there's pain, why there's issues, write this verse down, put it in your vehicle, read it every day. Psalm 25, verse 10. Some of the ways of the Lord are loving. and No, all of the ways Every way, all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. Remember that. Please remember that all of the ways are loving and faithful. Psalm 61. Turn to Psalm 61. Psalm 61, verse 7. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint him your love and faithfulness to protect him. Think about that. God's faithfulness protects us. It protects us. 
There's other passages, Psalm 86, verse 15. Psalm 89, verse 1 are great verses that refer to God's covenantal faithfulness. I have on my finger this ring. This is just an outward sign saying, I belong to my wife. Just because she's now in the Midwest doesn't mean I can take this ring off and be unfaithful. No, I've made a covenant vow with her. I belong to her even though she's not with me. God's faithfulness is greater than that. We can rely on Him because He's faithful and true. Do not forget, He does not give up. He is faithful. His promises are reliable and dependable. He is trustworthy. Or, listen to these verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? He's the one that does it. It's his faithfulness. In my marriage, we are both faithful to each other. In small ways, sometimes I'm not with a clean house. But when she comes back, it should be clean. And we do our best to just be committed to one another. In fact, inside of our rings, we have words written about that. Mine says eternity. It's from a song that I, we both liked, and eternity, that's it, forever, we, we're, wherever. And inside of her ring was a song that I really enjoyed, even though it's a secular song by an 80s rock band called Faithfully. And I was like, that's what we're going to have on your ring, Faithfully. And Faithful! For 13 years, that's what I thought it said on the inside of a ring, but I was wrong. Recently, she said, it's not faithful. You'll take a look. <gasps> it's a different word. It's forever. Oh, I thought it was, my heart was crushed. I was like, I thought it was this other word. Because faithful to me was so important. God is faithful. Listen to this verse. 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 Timothy 2.13. Listen to this. If we are faithful, faithless he remains faithful he cannot disown himself do you hear that he cannot disown himself he is a faithful god first corinthians 1 9 says this god is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord listen to this line here the unfaithfulness of the believer never alters. And can never alter the faithfulness of God. Your unfaithfulness can never change the faithfulness of God. Praise the Lord. Amen? What a blessing that even though I can fail and fail and fail, He will never fail as He looks at my unfaithful. It's just, just how utterly despair I can be at times. You know, some sermons are hard to preach because they take a lot of energy and study and there's, sometimes there's a lot of questions I have and if, if you've seen how I study, some of you in the study group, I just write out oodles of questions and sometimes they never get answered. But by Wednesday I just realized this sermon's so hard for me because I'm dealing with this word faithful when I just sometimes feel like, will I ever get it? Why am I unfaithful? Where he 
is so faithful to me. It's just one of the things in my heart that I just, I don't get. In fact, when I was in high school, I literally thought about getting a tattoo on my wrist right here. So that way, every time I would just go, God, why? I would see God is faithful. I don't know how you pray. Maybe you do it like this or whatever. Sometimes I just go like this. I go, God, why? I get a little energetic when I pray sometimes. Why am I unfaithful? You know, I'm not the perfect pastor. I'm waiting for laughter there, okay? I'm not. And some of you have been in pe- churches where you go, oh, I don't like this church because of the pastor. Then you move to the next one. If that's your style, you're never going to find the right church because there's no perfect pastor. And even this week has been looking at this faithful word. I just go, Lord, I'm such an unfaithful pastor. Do I earnestly seek and get on my knees every day for the people in my church? I'm supposed to shepherd these people. Do I, do I pray earnestly? I've got all this time now. Do I just pray and pray? And I, sometimes I don't. Why am I so unfaithful? Why do I fail the people you've given to be with me? I, and when I do that, I put my hands like this and I just remember, God is faithful. Even though I'm unfaithful, that will never alter his faithfulness. He is true. I fail, but he will never fail. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. He is faithful. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is the great Savior. And he is faithful to me. Here's the line I say all the time. How could you not worship him forever just because of that? He is faithful. Look at this again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He is faithful. The next word. Verse 7, now we start. Maintaining love to thousands. The next word is love. And guess what word that is? Chesed. My favorite Hebrew word. How do we know God's, God loves us? In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's this word chesed. It's God's love in action. For me, it's my favorite Hebrew word. It's, it's greater even than the word God. God is God, but how do I know it? Through His love. His love in action. He keeps it. He preserves it. It's faithful. He extends this, what does it say? To a thousand generation. And here's an idiom, Hebrew idiom saying, forever. That doesn't mean after a thousand generations are done, okay, now comes the lightning bolts. Now he's either the Santa Claus or the genie or the Scrooge that you kind of imagine. No. This is just a phrase to say forever. God loves those who are his forever. And nothing can change that. Even if two chapters before they create a calf out of gold and say, these are the gods who led you out of Egypt. That failure is there. But God's love extends forever. His love is great. And God gives himself 
to us for our benefit. And this is what's amazing. We'll look at this as we look in verses 9 and 10, 11 here about different gods and different thoughts of just different religions. Christianity is the only religion where there is a God that gives himself to his people. Dies for his people. There was a, a popular movie, I think it was a year ago, called Life of Pi. Am I saying that right? Life of Pi. It's, just, it's a very unique story, kind of creative, and, and it won some awards for just the way it was filmed and the prettiness of it. And if you like animals and stuff, it's kind of a cute movie to watch. And what intrigues me about this story, it's a fictitious story, is this, this boy who grows up in India. And he begins to tell his story to a journalist. And he begins to say, oh, I grew up as a Hindu. And a Hindu has how many gods? Does anybody know? 33 million gods. Can you imagine 33 million gods? Well, you're tired already. Give up on that. I don't get that one. 33 million gods. But he says, but I'm also a Christian. And he throws that in there. Then he begins to tell his story about Christianity. Then he says, but then I also became, I'm not sure if he became a Buddhist or something else. So he's kind of got this conglomeration of religions kind of tagged to his belt saying, I'm just kind of this Unitarian kind of view of all the different things he says. But at the end of him telling the journalist his story of his religious pursuits down this path, this path, this path, they all lead to the same God, kind of a jumble-lumble kind of thing. This, I love this. He says this, but of all the religions, I don't understand Jesus. Why he would suffer for his people. I just go, yes! No one was around except my wife, so I'm like, okay, oh, you know, I wish I would have went to the movie theater. This is it! He is faithful and he loves his people. He gives himself to his people. He's given himself to you so you might worship him. His love. Look at verse 7 again. Maintaining love. He keeps it. Maintaining love to thousands. It doesn't run out. He gives himself to us. God's love is loyal, and it's his vow. How does he show it? Total faithfulness displayed through his acts of love. God is faithful, and it's something I personally will never understand. I, that's just, of all the attributes, it's his love and his faithfulness. Probably because I realize I cannot love purely or be completely faithful and i'm stunned by his unswerving faithfulness to us so think of this look at these words again with me and get these little phrases in you if you can love that's the big one but what comes before that the lord the lord he is the savior lord lord he saves then god he has the power to save He is merciful. He is compassion. Then He is gracious. The free gift. He's slow to anger. He is incredible patience for Pastor Cody. Steadfast love. It's the loyal love of God in action. And He is faithful. He does not give up on Himself or His promises to His people. 
So let me end with this. You know, you could be sitting there, or I could sit there and go, okay, great, we got these little phrases. He's the Lord, Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands. We get these words down. It's much more than just getting a bunch of facts. The Lord, that's one of the beauties of the Old Testament. The Lord lays it out for him, and the rest of this is him showing it to a faithless people. To a people who keep giving up, following other gods, who keep failing. Most of this is all about him showing it over and over. I'm just, but I'm more than just. I'm grace and mercy. I am love to you. I'm faithful to you. I'm true. And I won't give up. He wants his people to think of these two words. Understand these words and experience them. Here's the big question. How do you understand and experience these words? How do you understand and experience that God is love? How do you understand and experience that God is faithful? That he does not give up? That he is mercy? Well, it begins by getting your fingers in the word. This is the proper view of God. And when you look at these stories, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, many of these stories were given for us as examples so we would see, not to fall into those kind of sins, but we would get a right view of God. And in chapter 10, verse 3 says, And God is faithful. How do you understand and experience? Three things. Write these down and this is it. How do you experience these words? Number one, dependence. Depend on God that he is faithful. Depend that he is a God of grace. Depend that he is Savior, not yourself. Because this week something may come up and you think you can get all your ducks in a row and you have the power and energy to do it. You can't. Yesterday I was on top of a mountain, Mount Washington. And we had to rappel off a large cliff, straight down. I love scrambling up mountains. I love doing a lot of stuff. But this time... I had to depend completely on that rope and the belay system I had. I was completely back walking down, and I've noticed as I climb the mountains around here, none of them are dry. Amazing situation there. Slippery and wet. I can do most things, but I could not walk horizontally on a wall like that. I had to completely depend on that rope. I started to sweat a little bit because there was, it was pretty precarious at one time. I was like, Wow. This hand, I, didn't, I could go like this. Depend on him completely. He loves it when we depend on him. It's not about what you can do. Recently I was talking with someone, and he said, I, just, I don't understand my relationship with God because I feel like I just I need to do something. I need to, I need to, I need to work. I, I, just, I, I just don't feel like... I'm doing enough things to be, I just, and I said, imagine if one of my daughters came up to me and said, I need to do something to be your daughter. I need to do something to to make you happy. You're my daughter. Depend on him. He loves complete, total dependence. Number two, obey, obey, obey. 
How do you know what to obey? Read the word. Obey and worship him. Depend on him. Obey. I love in John chapters 14 and 15, Christ says this often, if you love me, you will obey what I commanded. Do you love him? Yes. Then obey what he commanded. And worship. Obedience and worship. How could you not to a faithful God who maintains his love? Let's pray.